This is Breaking the Dollar, the podcast that dismantles some of the biggest misconceptions about money. This is a, a monster. Reserve is probably not going to raise the interest rate for money when you get thousand dollars. There's a way for fifty thousand dollars. Presented by Gainesville Coins. Hello and welcome back to Breaking the Dollar. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Everett Millman, and on today's episode, we're going to be discussing CDOs and CLOs. What are they and why do they matter? Now, the quick and dirty definition of a CDO, that's where we'll start because that's the first one, is it's basically a package of loans. It's a bunch of separate loans that have been smashed together into one financial product. And they were one of the biggest triggers of the last financial crisis in 2007 and 2008. Back then, they were mainly mortgages, home loans. And and you'll often hear them called mortgage-backed securities. But CDOs themselves, they can be made up of any type of loan. And it can be slightly confusing how this works or what do you mean when you say packaged together loans? What is that? And the best analogy I think I could use is Think of an expansion baseball team. So you're adding a new team to the league, and the way that they actually do this is every other existing team has to give up a couple players to make up the new roster for the expansion team. Now, theoretically, they're supposed to be getting a full roster of major league caliber players. But in this example, imagine that instead of them all being that quality of player, The teams threw in a bunch of subpar, you know, minor league players who are never going to really turn out to be that good, but they are baseball players nonetheless. And so now you have mixed together these different qualities of players, but the package itself is still considered a professional team. So that's really what a CDO is for loans. Some of the loans are, are high quality, a high credit rating, but then most of the rest of them are junkier loans. They're loans that are riskier. And the only way you could get those loans sold to any investor is by packaging them together with some of the other good loans. So when you take them as a whole, it's not as risky as the riskiest loan that's at the bottom of the barrel. Nonetheless, that means that you really have like a gumbo of loans here. So if you think about a gumbo, part of the clever innovation behind it is that you can take food that is about to spoil or is just old or of lower quality and just mix it into the pot of the stew with everything else, all your other ingredients. That kind of masks the flavor and the lower quality of that rotting food, of those vegetables that are about to go bad. That's how you can think of the loans within a CDO, is that yes, there are some higher quality ingredients, But it's really just to cover up all of the poor ingredients, all of the bad credit rating loans that have been mixed in. So that's why they bundle the loans together into something like a CDO. Now, how are CDOs sold? That's an important question that we need to address because they are these sort of complicated products of financial engineering, but someone has to be buying them. It's becoming such a problem because the market for these things has exploded. There's a lot of demand. So how are they sold? All of the loans in the CDO that are bundled together, each one has its own credit rating, its own level of risk. And the riskier it is, the higher yield it's going to pay. Because there is a mix of these different levels of risk for each loan, 
they're set up in what are called tranches. Which really, that is just a fancy Wall Street word for a bundle. It's just a bunch of them. So all of the highest rated ones are bunched together, and then the middle grades, and then the low grades, the junk ratings. They're all bundled together. We're going to use another analogy here, because I think it does help illustrate how these things work on Wall Street. Think about being a commercial fisherman. The further out you go away from shore might be riskier, but there's a better return. You'll catch the bigger fish. And conversely, if you stay close to the shoreline, it's much safer, but you're not going to get as high of a yield. You're not going to catch as many big fish. The point is that when the storm comes, inevitably, the boats that are close to the shoreline have a better chance of making it back safely. They have a very good chance. Whereas the boats who went out into the deep sea fishing to try and get the big fish, they can't weather the storm. They're too far away. They're going to be lost at sea. And that's sort of how you can conceptualize the difference in risk between the different tranches in a CDO. The high-risk loans are the ones that are least likely to pay your money back in the event of a default or bankruptcy. Whereas the safer loans are going to not pay as high of a yield right now, but you will be the first one to get to safe shore. You will be the first one who gets paid back in a default event. So I hope you kind of understand you know, why banks do this. Why do they bundle and package together these different loans? It's because nobody would buy the bad ones on their own. Nobody wants them. But if you mix them all together, from their perspective, they are diversifying their risk. Now, that's an interesting word because I bring up diversification quite a bit on this show, but I'm speaking in the context of all of your investments. Diversification is a way to protect yourself, really. It's a way to hedge and stay safe that all of your eggs aren't in one basket. What's misleading about the word diversification when you use it in the context of talking about risk and debt is that it really isn't different eggs. I mean, they're different quality eggs, sure, but they're all still eggs. All the loans in a CDO are still loans. So to say that the risk is diversified is just misleading to me. Let me give you another real-world example. If you wanted to have a diversified real estate portfolio, you could buy 50 different buildings and think, oh yeah, I'm diversified. But if all of those buildings are on Miami Beach, they all stand the same risk of getting hit by a hurricane and getting wiped out. That's sort of how CDOs are constructed. They don't have real estate from all over the world and in different sectors and different types of real estate. It could just be 50 different buildings that are all along the same coastline or in the same location. That's not real diversification. The point being that when a few of these types of loans go bad, it's like an avalanche. It's a chain reaction, and all of them hit the fan. That's the main reason why a lot of economists cite CDOs as the biggest contributing factor to how bad the last financial crisis was. It wasn't the only factor, but it may have made it much worse than it had to be. So lo and behold, we have a newcomer to the financial scene that's basically the same thing as a CDO. The only difference is the type of loans that underpin it. I'm talking about CLOs, collateralized loan obligations. It's really no different. I mean, they only bother to change one letter, and the word loan is almost the same as debt anyway. But CLOs have the exact same structure as CDOs. The difference 
and what makes them potentially even far riskier this time around is that the types of loans in CLOs are generally corporate debt, which are leverage loans, and consumer debt. It'll probably be useful to give you a brief overview of leverage loans and how they work because it's not any old debt. A leverage loan is for a company that is already deeply indebted. They've already taken out many loans that they're behind on, potentially. And a leverage loan is when a company borrows money to either buy out its own shareholders or to acquire another company. So it's debt on top of debt. If you want to compare it to how much worse it could be than the mortgage crisis with the housing bubble, most people weren't taking out a fourth or fifth mortgage on the same house, right? But that's what a leverage loan is. It's like the company is mortgaging themselves for the umpteenth time. It is compounding debt. It is debt on top of debt. And that's the underlying asset that gives a CLO value. To me, that seems incredibly risky. And that's the whole reason why these loans need to be bundled together to get anyone to buy them in the first place, is that on their own, they're not safe. And the demand for CLOs has exploded. As there's more leverage buyouts and leverage loans made for companies, as we get to this kind of late-in-the-cycle period of the economic expansion we've been experiencing, keeping credit loose is the only thing that's kind of keeping that cycle afloat and keeping those companies from already going into default. But because they have access to more funding and they can take on debt through a CLO, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just feeds itself where there's more demand and so there's more CLOs. And what that naturally leads to is lower and lower quality debt making it into the CLOs. Because there's only a limited amount of good performing loans out there, right? It's somewhat in scarce supply. But if there's still demand out there, then these underwriters are going to put lower and lower quality debt into the CLO package. That's how you make a gumbo. You keep putting in the vegetables. But it really is not safe. And the whole point of bundling is to give the appearance of it being safe. Really, Wall Street is selling a false bill of goods there. In my opinion, that's part of their MO. All of these confusing concepts about the different ratings and how credit works and words like tranches, that's really all smoke and mirrors to confuse the consumer and investor into not knowing what's going on. It is a somewhat accurate depiction to say that it is really just paper moving around, confusing things happening on paper. But the problem is that we as a society all deal with the consequences when these things go bust. The fund managers who actively manage some of these CLOs, mutual funds, ETFs, they don't take any of the liability. It's the rest of us who are left holding the bag. But you're probably wondering, how does that work? Why does that matter today? And it's because the market for CLOs and leverage loans has gotten so big. The average multiplier of leverage that companies have now, so how much debt they've taken on relative to how much their business is worth, is actually higher now than it was in 2008, right before the crisis hit. The CLO market, after basically dying right in the wake of the financial crisis when the panic was at its peak, banks stopped writing these loans. Since then, it has gradually grown bigger and bigger and bigger from a billion-dollar market to a $20 billion market about eight years ago to now it is a trillion-dollar market. That's why this is important. That's why it could make 
the next recession or financial panic even worse than the last because the stakes are higher. So that kind of wraps up our discussion for today. As always, we'll take a question from our listeners. Remember, you can always email those to btd at gainesvillecoins.com. And this week's question comes from Sharon in Alberta, Canada. And Sharon asks, how did gold do during the last financial crisis? And that's an interesting question because it's important to know, is gold really a hedge against a financial panic? And in the first two years after the crash, gold did remarkably well. It had basically exponential price growth, where it more than doubled in that span from under $1,000 to $1,900 an ounce. So gold did very well. Now, the second side of that is as the economy, quote unquote, recovered, gold prices kind of fell back down to earth. But nonetheless, in times of crisis, yes, gold has proven to appreciate dramatically in price. That does it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate everyone who tunes in. Be sure to join us next time where we talk about a related topic that is sort of the consumer version of a leverage loan. It's non-bank lending or shadow banking. And it's a really interesting topic that we're going to delve into and hopefully give you some actionable advice about how to avoid falling to that trap yourself. Today's episode was presented by our sponsors, Gainesville Coins. You can find out more at GainesvilleCoins.com. If you enjoyed today's show, we encourage you to go to iTunes and subscribe, leave a review, and leave a rating. The views and opinions expressed on the show are for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as professional investment advice. Thank you.